Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. God cannot help you unless you allow God to help you. Many of us could be accused of trying to out-God God. We think we know more than God. We think we can do more than God. We actually believe that what we want and how we want it is better than the way God can bring it to us. In fact, we get so busy doing what we do, the way we do it, there is no opportunity for God to get into our lives at all. God is so merciful. God will not fight you. If God did, you would get beat up badly. Most of us could use a divine butt whipping. Instead, God sits back and waits to be invited into your life. God will let you do whatever you want to do until you realize that God can do it better. If you want to run the show, God will let you. If you want to pull all the strings, that's up to you. If you want to insist that what you are doing is the way it should be done, even when you are not getting anywhere, go right ahead. God will let you run yourself ragged, if you choose to do so. Unfortunately, you may not always be aware that you are in God's way. You think you are demonstrating your independence. You think it's all up to you and that you must do it or it won't get done. Well, God knows better. God knows that God cannot fail. However, God has no need to prove to you what God can do. How do you know when you are in God's way? How do you know when you are running your program rather than allowing God's divine plan to unfold? It's very simple. We're here in the Archbishop's Corner where Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair is here to help you know when you are in God's way. If you are struggling to make things happen and they are not happening, it's you, not God, running the show. Until today, you may have been directing your own life and attempting to produce your own blessing. Just for today, ask for direction. In the Archbishop's Corner, you can open yourself to God's guidance. It's where you can give up your attachments to having things your way and open yourself up to God's way. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for helping us see the unfolding of God's divine plan in our lives and helping us trust enough to step aside and let God get into our lives. How are you? Fine. I do all of that. And happy Father's Day, by the way. You are a oh, father of a different you. sort. And I understand. Spiritual fatherhood. Yeah, spiritual fatherhood. We should celebrate that. We do celebrate that. You have a guest that you brought along, Father Michael yes. White. Yes. He is the Vicar for Education, Evangelization, and Catechesis. Is that right, Michael? Yes, it is. Nice oh, to be here. It's nice to have you. We're going to talk a little bit about Catholic schools. Today, however, being Father's Day, I'd like a reflection on the part of both of you. Archbishop, since this is the year of St. Joseph, what qualities in the life of St. Joseph do you think are most needed by every dad today? Well, let's first of all start with this, uh, that today we are living in a strange world in which even the idea of being a man or a woman, uh, a father or a mother, are called into question. And uh, this is a profound uh, human, philosophical, theological uh, situation we find ourselves in that's very troubling. And the reality is that, uh, first of all, that fatherhood and motherhood are God-given realities from creation of men and women. First of all, it's important to say that they are complementary and that that doesn't mean that they, they don't cross over uh, one into the other under the circumstances of life 
that many people find themselves in. But ultimately, being a father is a manly thing, is something that pertains to manhood. Sadly, in our society today, for lack of the exercise of fatherhood uh, in families and in society, I think we have a lot of social problems because of that. We have to try to, above all, talk about what it means uh, to live a virtuous life as a man and as a father, and to step up to the responsibilities of, of family life and fatherhood. Now, that's not to say that it's fatherhood as it might have been 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Certainly, society has changed. But the fundamentals about life that are based in our identity as men and women, that there's something there that, that is not interchangeable. Father White, let me ask you, in terms of the place of the father in the role of education of a child today, how important is it that the father is involved in the whole educational process of, of the children? I think it's vital, as the Archbishop just mentioned, you know, the role of fatherhood and motherhood is complementary in its nature. And I remember, um, as a little boy, I remember going to Mass with my family and my father, who was tall, he was over six feet, you know, when he genuflected, I used to think, what is in that tabernacle that my father would genuflect to? And as I look now as a priest and I see families coming as families, mother, father, children out there, it's just amazing the role that the father has. And I think what we need to look and see is very much encouraging our fathers from the priest's point of view to be catechists in our faith formation programs. Because mothers, let's be honest about it, mothers are the prime movers of faith formation in the family. We do know that. But we need to re-engage our fathers into that role, uh, in that complementary nature to lead us and to recognize that there's nothing unmanly about saying grace at dinner. There is nothing unmanly about going to Mass and being the leader in the family in that aspect from the, the male role about proclaiming the faith and being able to speak about Jesus Christ at our dinner tables within our family conversations. When you look at Catholic schools, our Catholic schools teach to the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Jesus Christ is not just one subject of the day in religion, but in the midst of mathematics, in English, in social justice and current events, we hear about the teachings of Christ and the proclamation of what our church stands for. Our mothers and fathers have to do the same thing. So it's a totality of bringing faith into every aspect of our families. How important the dad's role is in bringing of faith into the family. I do remember reading uh, within the last couple of years of studies that have been done, uh, you know, I guess you'd say sociological studies that have shown the importance of the father with regard to the children's religion and faith. I mean, these are not things that are just pious uh, sentiments expressed by priests. This has been uh, shown to be the fact in the nature of things, uh, in the nature of family life. Talking about family life, the summer is really an emphasis on the family because vacation time is a time for families to be together, spend more time together. And tonight, the summer solstice happens at 11.32, bringing in the official start of summer in the Northern Hemisphere. What, Archbishop, do you enjoy most about summer? And I'll ask Father White the same question. That it's warm. Ah. I don't like the cold. That's the simplest answer I can give you. Uh, Michael, I would I... presume you would say the same thing. I love summer weather. Warm and humid, I'm happy. Okay. Well, the other thing, too, is that uh, for the life of the, I think you would agree, for the life of uh, a parish or the diocese, the pattern pretty much fits the kind of pattern of the school year. 
That is to say that the diocesan activities and everything kind of reach a peak uh, in uh, May and June, and then they they really calm down for the summer, and then they start up again at Labor Day. So, uh, you know, it, it's also that factor that uh, uh, with regard to our, our activities. This Friday, June 25th, is the 59th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision to ban prayer in our public schools. With the many differences in religions around the world, one thing that we all agree upon is the importance of prayer. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, about allowing prayer or a time for quiet reflection in public schools? And, you know, over the past 59 years, have they taken a toll, do you think, on the country and its young people? I I certainly understand that, um, you know, at one point our public schools were basically Protestant schools. And that's, it was as clear as could be. They were totally Protestant. And that's why uh, we had our Catholic schools in part because uh, Catholic parents wanted uh, to have their children's faith not uh, eroded or, or, or questioned uh, in the public school system. Uh, but I also understand in a, in a pluralistic society uh, where you have public schools with children of many faiths or no faith, that you have to be careful how you do it. But I do think that, uh, you know, excluding completely uh, any notion of religion or God is not a a healthy thing and not a a desirable or necessary thing. Uh, But I think uh, quite apart from prayer, it has to do with the whole attitude toward life and the whole curriculum and everything. I mean, you can, I can't think of any offhand, but there are just astounding examples of where any kind of mention of, of religion or faith or anything is, it seems to be uh, totally excluded. And I think that that's, that's not healthy or, or desirable or good for the, the, the children or for our country. I don't know, Father White, what you might think about that. I think there would be a, a great benefit to having a few uh, minutes of uh, time each school day to reflect. And if uh, an individual wants to pray, if they're Roman Catholic and they want to say an Our Father, or they just want to meditate and put their life, their day's life in perspective, that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, I also think that I would probably say I'm not a sociologist, but I would probably say that with less prayer, there are more problems. Uh, in our world, in our families today. You know, even when you talk to children in faith formation programs, they're not only not sure of the words to say, but what is the the point of prayer? You know, they're not there to lobby God. They're not there to educate God. They're there to converse with God. And the most important part of prayer, too, is silence and listening, Mm -hmm. to let God stir your heart to lead you to where you need to be as a human person and what God wants of you. So whether you call it meditation or prayer in the public schools, it would be just a great time to center ourselves and turn away from the business of life. I was just having a conversation the other day. I'm old enough to remember not only answering machines, but before there were answering (laughs) machines. And when you missed a phone call, you didn't even know about it. And it was a much more peaceful way of life. That's true. Now, let me ask you this question, Michael, because in in our society today, we're tending more toward socialism and perhaps even atheism. I'm wondering if there would come a time when even in our Catholic schools, prayer is frowned upon or outlawed. Not while I'm here. I Not while I'm here. <laughs> so uh, what we need to do, quite honestly, is to 
uh, re-engage everybody in prayer. And even in our Catholic schools where we have uh, students who are not Roman Catholic, they come for a faith-based education. They may be Muslim, they may be Jewish, they may be non-practicing uh, of any faith, quite honestly, but there needs to be an opportunity to everybody to be centered. And the great thing about Catholic schools, besides the fact that our students just in the most recent Iowa uh, tests did very, very well and outperformed their public counterparts, uh, in our Catholic schools, our educational system is such that we teach to the whole student, body, mind, and spirit. And our goal is to be forming people who will become leaders, not just in their Catholic parishes because they know their faith, but they will become leaders in society. And we want those people who are our leaders to be reflective people, to be people of compassion, of hope, and of forward thinking. And I think prayer does that for you. It allows you to take a few minutes each day and to look around the world and see, I'm not the greatest thing that ever was. There is something greater than myself and I need to be centered on that. And I think prayer is a very powerful, important way. We also have to get people to understand that prayer is the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, and many of the other beautiful prayers of our faith, but it is also a conversation with God to take time out, turn the phone off, turn the, the music down, and to listen to God speak to you. Let me ask you this, because you're talking about what we're teaching in our schools and the importance of prayer in our Catholic schools. Uh, are we teaching critical race theory in our schools today? No, we are not. Uh, critical race theory is antithetical to the Christian faith, and it is antithetical to our American way of life. When you look at critical race theory, and it is based upon Marxism and socialism, which Pope Pius IX in 1846, I believe, uh, began the conversation really, and every pope since then up to Pope Benedict has spoke to, uh, greatly about uh, socialism, the descriptive words used about it, and how it defeats the human person. Our faith is about recognizing the face of God in every single person, no matter the color of their skin or any descriptive language you want to use about them. Our faith teaches us that we are all sons and daughters adopted of the one true God, and we are brothers and sisters to Christ. And we have to see that not only when we look at others, but when we look in the mirror, that we are loved by God, we were created out of love, redeemed out of love, and now we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and faith to have all of that truth of Christ revealed to us as we need it in our time and place. And so our faith does not teach a critical race theory or any theory that reduces the individuality of the human person, but recognizes the goodness of each person and then calls us to promote that. You know, the greatest thing about God's love is that it calls us to seek the excellence of the other. And that's what our schools need to be teaching. This movement towards diversity has really kind of flipped around and now there is no diversity. We can't even call a holiday a holiday. We're calling, you know, taking it off the calendar and just calling it a day off or we're even removing Mother's Day and Father's Day and calling them birth people day or whatever mm. the new phrase is for that. I think we have to get back to the normal. And quite honestly, when you speak to people in their 20s and 30s, they want to have these honest conversations, but they want to hear truth. And that's what we need to be speaking clearly and concisely. Are you telling me that in our Catholic schools, we're going to still celebrate Columbus Day and not Indigenous Persons Day? I, I think that what we're going to look at is truth and celebrate truth. Uh, our mothers give birth to us. 
Our fathers are the complementary partner to that. And when we look at our moms and dads, you know, this is a great thing about the complementary nature of the human person created in God's image, male and female. We learn so many different but vitally important things from both our parents. And without that, you know, we kind of miss out on the fatherly influence and our motherly influence. But you didn't answer my question. Are we going to continue celebrating Columbus Day? I am. Are you? In our schools? Well, I, I believe so, yes. Okay. We have to have great sensitivity about history. We cannot repudiate our history. We have to be very wary of this so-called cancel culture and of trying to um, obliterate our history. Uh, you know, uh, that, that doesn't solve anything. The fact is that in the past and in the future, human beings are sinful and human history is filled with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when you try to pretend that, that we now, and moving in the future, we are the people who are perfect and uh, we don't do anything immoral, uh, unlike our so, supposedly our ancestors, or that we now have reached the pinnacle where, where, where all of the things we do are not tainted by anything, I think that's terribly naive and it's false. You can't cancel history. You have to understand history and explain the context of the times. And yes, you have to call evil evil, and good, good, but you can't, you can't just simply cancel what's gone before you or where you've come from. Let's take a look now at our gospel reading on this Sunday, the 20th day of June, when we observe the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our reading for today is taken from the fourth chapter of Mark's gospel, a time when Jesus showed his authority. Here's that gospel account as it is dramatically presented, and then we'll talk with both of you, and we'll ask for your thoughts. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A great storm of wind arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him. Teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? They were filled with awe. Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Archbishop, do you want to start? Uh, Jesus shows his authority even over the wind and the sea. What strikes you as you hear this gospel? What is the question that Jesus asks? Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? And I think that is really at the heart of it all. Uh, because it's the same question that Jesus is asking you and me today. You know, we proclaim that we believe him. You know, we say the creed to, to be truly the son of God, to be the second person of the uh, divine person of the Trinity. And we believe that we're baptized into him, that, that in the sacraments, Christ is in some ways closer to us than we are to ourselves. And yet when things happen uh, and, and we, we can't explain them or we're, we're in sorrow or trial, we wonder, where is Jesus, you know, where is God? And Jesus asks us the same question, why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? That to those, as St. Paul says, those who love God, all things work together unto good. And uh, the same Jesus who, who walked on the water was also crucified. Uh, he suffered uh, the ravages of a sinful world and all the pain and suffering of humanity uh, in his own person. And that's, of course, the mystery of the cross, that we come to glory uh, and heaven and the resurrection uh, through the crosses and trials and sufferings of this life. 
But I think that's the, the, the great lesson is faith. That's what this whole gospel is about, about faith. Well, okay, I, I agree. This whole gospel is about faith. So how does that question of Jesus, do you not yet have faith, apply to the storm that was brewing over the closing of Sacred Heart High School in Waterbury? Do you not yet have faith? First of all, um, you know, when the Archbishop was talking a few minutes ago about obliterating our history and things like that, uh, one of the things that popped in my mind is we have to learn from our history and we have to move forward with the new knowledge that we have. And that's the gift of wisdom from the Holy Spirit, how to apply the knowledge that you have. So without going into the past and wondering what could have been done differently for Sacred Heart High School or from the Office of Education and Evangelization and Catechesis. What we can say now is we have faith, I'm putting quotes around faith, because we have a new outlook. And um, our office has been working on these come to the table meetings and we're now partnering much more closely with all of the schools. So we can confidently go forward out to the schools and say, our, our office is not coming out to say, you didn't do this or you should have done that and you're gonna close. But how can we calm the seas calm the storms, see what's working well, what's not working well, and let's work together and build a future, chart a new course ahead into calm waters where we can reach our faith into more families, bring them more into the schools. As I look at it, this, particularly in the light of this gospel, do you not have faith yet? Well, we can talk to our people and say, going back to your earlier question, Father John, about prayer. We need to have people praying more and working more. The opening uh, collect for this past Sunday was about pleasing God by our words and our deeds. We have to take what we believe and put it into action. And that's what we're doing now with all the schools, both our elementary schools, our private and our archdiocesan ones, as well as our high schools. We're going forth and we're building a much stronger system of, of uh, practice in our, our school systems and also going forward in a new course to how we can grow these schools. And that's the important things. In this past year of the pandemic, when schools in some districts in the state of Connecticut public schools didn't even have children coming online remotely to any of their classes, our Catholic schools were in person. Uh, they were up and running fully, we were able to issue grades and we were able to succeed in the Iowa tests because of our commitment and moving forward, even in the midst of a storm. If there's anything we can say uh, about a benefit, if there is that word you can use with the pandemic, it was the fact that our schools were open and our families remained connected. And you talked earlier today about what's the greatest thing about summer, and yes, it is the weather and the sunshine, but it's also the fact, I think, that this summer, you're gonna see families practicing the things they did during the pandemic, the game nights, the dinners together, because the family, the mom and dad and the kids mm -hmm. have spent so much time together that there's been a renewal of what family really means. Did faith, Michael, play a role in keeping our Catholic schools open? Absolutely. Parents want to send their children for the Catholic faith, but they also saw that in this uh, trust that our principals, our teachers, and our parents had, they were able to say, listen, we're doing everything we can. We're following the science. You know, a lot of times I think people think that faith and science, faith and reason, have to be boxing partners, but actually they're dance partners. Hmm. Uh, science tell us how things work. Faith leads us to understand why things work. And that's a great thing about the Catholic school systems. They combine the two. 
They make them dance together and show the big picture out there. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Terry from Oxford says, How do you overcome doubts? After attending college again and being surrounded by atheists with good arguments, how should I deal with doubts? Well, I'm going to ask Father White to take a stab at this too, but I always, when I hear that doubt, I'm reminded of something that St. John Henry Newman said, that a thousand difficulties does not constitute a doubt. I think it's the one of the epistles, is it James, that says that we, we should not have any, any the doubt is not a, a, a right thing, and I, a, that doubt leads to lose one's faith. And I think what Cardinal Newman is saying is, is correct, that difficulties should not lead us uh, to doubt. Uh, that is to say, even if we have difficulties with, with faith and question our faith, you know, I think of the prayer of the apostles, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, you know, he used the word unbelief, but it doesn't mean that he didn't believe. It means that he had difficulties. And uh, I think that's the, the attitude we, we have to have. Father White? White? Yeah, I would agree. I think the unbelief aspect is should be rather than using it as a crutch to just say, oh, it doesn't help me or I don't believe, rather use it as a springboard to learn more about our faith, to go deeper into the truth. Think of doubting Thomas uh, when he said seemed to be doubting. Jesus didn't send him to the worst parish in the diocese. He actually <laughs> said, come closer to me. See me. I am truth. So stick your, your hand in my wounds. Let's go deeper into our faith. You know, the Catholic Church has so much wisdom and so much beauty to it that when you can explain it to people, it just draws them more deeply into it. And I think that's what we have to do. Lisa from Milford says, I am a single Catholic woman in my late 30s and have been considering adopting a child. Some family and friends of mine discourage me from adopting, saying that the Church teaches the importance of family and a child adopted by two married parents is preferred. What is the Church's teaching on single people adopting? Clearly, the, the, the model of a family where there's a mother and the father is what is to be strived for. But we also know that uh, in the circumstances of life in the world, very often through death or other reasons, there are single parent uh, families. This is a delicate question because I, I, I think, for example, our adopting agencies in the Church uh, prefer to have adoption to, to a family where there is a father and a mother. Uh, but I, I know that in history, in circumstance, there have been many situations where a single mother or father has, has raised a child. Very successfully, though. Huh? And or even a family member, you know, who was not their direct, you know, descendant. So I don't say that's bad a, at all. I'd be very curious to know what, what uh, some of our adoptions agencies would, would think of a situation like this. And if we, if we say that we prefer, uh, or our preference is for where there's a mother and a father, that's not to disparage someone who, for whatever reason, is not in a married situation. I don't know, Father White, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I, I think that's a, a reasonable understanding. What I would say is that this question almost leads back to the real importance of the larger family. Because, you know, in a situation where one of the parents dies, or is sick and there's uh, the family is, is broken a little bit that way, then grandparents or siblings, aunts and uncles can come in to help too, you know. Michael, I wanna thank you for joining our discussion today. And it, let me ask you one last question. 
Are you hopeful as we move forward in terms of Catholic education? If you were to evaluate the state of Catholic education within the Archdiocese of Hartford now, what would you say? Well, let me say I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful in the sense that I came to this job with not a a big background in the administration aspect of Catholic schools and the amazement to me of the quality of our teachers, our principals, our leaders is just astounding. And uh, the office has created these come to the table meetings that I think I mentioned a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And there is such a cohesion and a desire to work together and to build for the future. Uh, When you look at Catholic schools, uh, compared to any other school, private or public out there, our students excel in the SATs beyond the state and federal levels. They excel in the Iowa exams. They excel in the outreach that they bring into the community. We have an amazing story to tell, and we're gonna uh, continue to tell it and find new ways to proclaim the good news of our Catholic schools. In fact, I'm entitling it The Wonders of Catholic Education. It's amazing what our schools provide. So we need to really promote the benefits and the wonders of Catholic education. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord, as in every age, we have our our challenges uh, today, uh, but we praise and thank you for all the blessings that accompany us on our pilgrimage, especially the uh, blessings of our Catholic faith, of those Catholics who are taking their faith seriously, thanks to your grace and who are grappling with the issues of our age. And we thank you also for our Catholic schools, all those who make them possible, that they may truly be places uh, where our young people learn the truth about you, O Lord, and about themselves and about the world, so that they in turn can make a contribution for the good of others. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop Father White, thank you both for joining us today for this wonderful discussion. We hope to see you again next week. Until then, enjoy the summertime weather. Thank you.